Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. In this episode, I got to interview Ali Labonte. In 2022, she swam across the Catalina Channel. It's a really amazing thing what she did. And in talking to her, I learned quite a bit. Though a lot of things I didn't know. It was a very daunting swim. And it was a lifelong dream of hers. It took a long time to get her there. But she did do it and persevere. And it's a very inspiring story. Definitely worth listening to. I hope you enjoy my interview with Ali Labonte. Hey, Ali. Well, it's great, to, it's great seeing you. Thank you for letting me talk to you. Let's start. What is your full name? I'm Allison Labonte, and yeah, pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for having me after just meeting you last night. It's exciting to get a chance to talk with you. Yeah, well, it's not every day you get to talk to somebody that swam the channel, especially one like Catalina, which is, I was looking it up, so over 20 miles? Yes, just over 20. Yeah, uh, we're going to get into that. What 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 the heck were you thinking? <laughs> like, so I... Um, yeah, I, I know you're the first channel swimmer, any channel swimmer I've met, uh, which is amazing. And the water in California, I know, you know most people picture the beaches and they think, oh, it's a wonderful place. It's cold. That water is extremely cold. So, uh, like, probably colder than the English Channel, if I had to guess. Mm, it's a little, it's warmer than the English Channel. Oh, it is. But oh, it okay. does vary on season, of course. Okay. Yeah. So, so what? Um, I was actually talking to my little boys yesterday. We're, you know, they're learning new words and stuff. And they said, what, what does inspire mean, Daddy? And, and I was trying to explain it. So what, what inspired you to do anything like this? Right. I read a book called Swimming to Antarctica by Lynn Cox. When I was on a ship, I was uh, in oceanography graduate school, uh, and I went out with the research vessel Thomas Thompson from University of Washington, um, and I chose this book to read uh, on the research cruise, and uh, Lynn Cox basically swam the Catalina Channel when she was in 16, 17. Um, she's from California. And I, and the book talks about all of her different swims and sort of the intent and, um, you know, why she swims. And I just found the, that book extremely inspiring. And I came, but remember coming back into port after being three weeks at sea in the Nootka area off of Vancouver Island and coming back into port in Puget Sound and just like, oh my God, I want to, where's my swimsuit? I want to just jump right in the water here, get going on this goal. And since then, swimming the Catalina Channel for me was, was a dream. I was like, before I die, I'm going to do this. Wow. So, so you have accomplished one of your bucket list goals. Yeah. Yeah. Now I tell people I can die now because I've done my life goal. <laughs> That's incredible. So how long from reading this book to when you were ready to do this swim? How, how long did that take? Yeah, great question. I read this in like 2005. Mm, yeah. And so and then I completed it in 2023. So 18 years. Okay, so this is really recent history. 
Yeah. When, when I'm, the- I'm sorry, 20, not 2023. I completed in 2022. Yeah. Oh. Last year. That's recent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, so what, what date exactly? Uh, September 18th, I jumped in the water. September 19th and 22, I got out of the water. So you swim overnight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so, well, all right. So let's get some, gosh, well, let's get into the logistics of this thing. So how, how does that work? Swimming overnight? I mean, you just like, do you have a support vessel? Do you just... You have like a life float that you're just like, okay, I'm putting on a little strobe light and I'm going to lay here and freeze to death overnight. Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, there is so much in the planning and logistics and building the team and um, hiring a boat, so much to prep for. Uh, I hired the boat uh, after I was on the support crew for my friend Connie Bloyle. She had swim Catalina Channel in 2021. Uh, and that was also part of my inspiration just to like get into the groove and know it, how it's all done, see it all done by being a kayaker for Connie the year before. Um, and then she was going to be training for the English channel the same year I was going to swim the Catalina channel. Uh, so the stars aligned where I would have like a training buddy right there in the same Berkeley area of San Francisco Bay. Uh, to get tons of hours in. It's nice to have a buddy. Um, but I had to hire the boat about 11 months in advance. And I I called one dive boat. It's usually a scuba operator uh, that in the California waters that you can hire. Um, there's only like three different scuba operators that you can also hire out for doing these swims. And the first one I called, they were all booked up. I was going to have to wait, you know, two years. Um, so I just kept calling through the line and ended up with Pacific Star. And they had an opening. They had like two different dates. Um, and so I signed up for the date later in the season where the water would be warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and otherwise, logistics-wise, uh, I had to bring kayakers so you get fed the swimmer gets fed the swimmer can't touch anything and then you'd be disqualified these channel swims it's kind of based on the first swimmer that does it sort of sets the rules like how they did it is the way that everyone else would follow in order for it to be like an official crossing so there's observers that come onto boat the boat to certify that you actually did the crossing official according to the rules. And I had a buddy swimmer and who else? I've had my team member that prepared all my feeds and made sure each kayaker then when they went on the water, they had a little cooler with all the different feeds for me. So those are like snacks, things that yeah. you like shot away. Yeah, fuel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can go into that later. Oh. Um, and... Uh, and then, yeah, other team members are there, to, like moral support and sharing with friends and family who aren't on the boat in there right now. I had another team member posting on WhatsApp just to a big group of friends, like what's going on. And so the people that are in Europe had a better time following along because they weren't at asleep. Everyone in my local time zone are all asleep from 10 p.m. to 11 a.m. <laughs> 
Okay, so so you got this big team, you got a boat, you got all, all the logistics figured out, and then what does it look like? Like you you get in the water, you're in a wetsuit, or you're in how, how does that work? Yeah, so a no wetsuit. Um, the only thing you can have on you is your cap, your goggles, your swimsuit, and your plugs, and no other gadgets, no watch, uh, no time chip. Um, I do have the lights on me, so they have at night, obviously, need to be able to see the swimmer. And I swim to shore. After you jump in, you have to swim. Like, the boat can't go all the way to shore, so we take off from San Pedro Harbor, motor over to uh, Doctor's Cove, they call it, on near the, the near two harbors of Catalina Island. And then I jump off the boat, the kayakers in the water, um, and then I have to swim to the shore. I was is pitch black in the water, um, and I'm navigating around rocks and kelp and stuff in to get into shore to get on land. So I got to have a dry start on the Catalina side, all the way to a dry finish on the the San Pedro side. Uh, the first thing when I jumped in off the dive boat, because I'm on a dive boat, <laughs> I jump in the water and I'm like, oh, I forgot my snorkel. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute, no, I'm swimming. But my entire history and experience in Catalina is that's where I did worked on chamber crew at the hyperbaric recompression chamber and lots of dive training in Catalina. So... I just completely associate it with diving or snorkeling. So it was really weird to get in the water, bitch black, no lights, no snorkel, no tank, no anything. Yeah, that would be a different experience. Gosh. So you got a dry landing with Catalina at two harbors and then start swimming. Yeah, I jump in and I have my kayaker in my one side of me on the right side and the dive boat on the left and I just uh, have to stay between the two of them and try and swim a straight line. Uh, they're guiding me and I don't really have to think about much. Um, by this point, all the training, all the, you know, how things are going to go, what the plan's going to look like have all been discussed through or part of what the team knows to do. And the team is running the show, I no longer have to think about that. All I have to do is just swim. Yeah, it's a bit of a, and all of my hiking or training and other adventures, I've tried to not think about how much is to come, how much I have left to go. So I had told my crew, don't tell me how much I have left to go. Uh, unfortunately, I knew when the kayak shifts would change and when my feeds would be. So, of course, in my head, I'm still counting the number of hours that have gone by, but I will never know how many hours or how many miles I have left to get to point. Ooh, I'm going to space on the name of uh, Palos Verdes is the uh, part of the landmass mainland side that I'm going to land at. Two questions I want to ask you. And, and well, one of them, one of them was, did you have, uh, did you have like a life monitor or a, a like monitor your pulse or oxygen levels, stuff like that, temperature? Yeah, temperature? no gauges whatsoever. Um, okay. So, 
my health or how I'm doing is gauged by my crew just by um, at the feedings, which were every hour to start. And then I switched to every half hour um, after, I don't know, five hours or something. They ask a few questions. Did I pee? Um, they have to monitor that I'm my that I'm still processing fluids and they can kind of gauge whether I'm getting too cold by am I responding coherently um, or am I kind of slurring my speech or not making sense, seeming to process what they're asking and being able to respond in a, um, you know, appropriate way. I like, I like to say feedings. It's like you're an animal. Yeah. Like, all right, just- Hit the zoo, you know, toss them. <laughs> it's time for the feeding. Come watch. Well, I guess they do. They do have to toss you food, right? Because you're not allowed to touch anything. Yep. All right, so you get fed, they throw you the food, they throw you the water, and then somebody has to pick up the trash, the kayaker does? Right, so we practice a lot with how to rig this stuff so that I won't lose my trash into the sea, um, and so that I can have a feeding in a really short period of time. They were saying, like, under a minute. You don't want to be lose time, potentially, if there's currents, I'll get uh, a little bit off track, and... Everything's on a rope um, that the kayaker tosses out to me, and then I swim up to the rope uh, and then open up a canister, chug it as fast as I can. Julie, my kayaker, was worried for me for a little while because I'm chugging so fast. Afterwards, I do this big (gasps) gasp, which is basically just getting some air because I spent the last 40 seconds chugging food and water. Um, But then just leave everything open it's still attached to the line and they just pull in the line with um my canisters on it but empty um and they also have to keep track of did i eat all the food they're taking um in addition to what i've let out (laughs) they're monitoring how much i've taken in uh and that's another health uh check and so you and you did this overnight like nonstop. how long did the entire swim take just under 13 hours. Uh, so something like 12 hours, 57 something minutes. Yeah. I had a goal or forecast that, you know, it might take me 14 or 15 hours. I had hired the boat for the first 10 hours as like a set standard price. And every hour after that, that it takes you, you pay an extra 100, 200. I can't remember how much but I had predicted it would take me 15 hours. So when I did my upfront payment, paid for an extra five hours. And then I think uh, was pleasantly surprised when I came in two hours under and they had to refund me. I think they were a little sad that I didn't take as long as I had planned. Um, But it was, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with, I had perfect conditions. So you can really have variable swims with, any kind of wind or current or other mishaps, which there are <laughs> other mishaps. I heard the stories at the um, at the banquet afterwards. Yeah, that many people have very different challenges, and I felt very lucky with the conditions during my swim. And what were the conditions? Uh, totally uh, like less than probably four knots of wind, unbelievably calm. Um, clear skies, the moon rose in the probably sixth hour or something in. Um, I had a little bit of, well, no currents. Um, I think that 
my crew were noticing that behind me, they could kind of see the water start to to ripple with wind, but it always seemed to them like it was behind or something. <laughs> and um, I had amazing sea temperature. It was 70 degrees all the way across, which is wild. Usually there's upwelling right at the coastline of mm-hmm. um, the mainland in California, which brings colder water up. And so when Connie did this one the year before, I knew that the temperature dropped from 70 degrees mid-channel to 63 degrees when she parked on the shore. Um, temperature never dropped for me. So I was thinking in my head, oh my God, I'm still so far away from the shore. Like the temperature is not dropping. I know it's supposed to drop. I must not be anywhere near shore. And then all of a sudden, Connie tells me I'm an hour away. Um, Connie was my crew chief. Yeah, just shocked with how good the conditions were. While you were swimming, did you have did you have like a little mantra or a song or something? Mm. Like, did you have repetitive stuff in your head? I'm just curious. Uh, I really spend a lot of time thinking about my stroke. Um, so I know some people like Lynn Cox, who I was talking about, who wrote this book. She counts her strokes, or she has. I don't know. I remember if she does songs too. I think so. Um, other people do songs. I'm constantly thinking about my strokes. Um, and you know, how do I optimize it? And for some reason, my mind doesn't get bored thinking about that. (laughs) I was also looking at the critters. Um, there's not, it was obviously dark, but there was some bioluminescence. So all your single and, you know, cell guys that bioluminesce, uh, the pyrosomes, which are you know, maybe anywhere for the, some giant one somewhere, some places, but like a little slug that lights up. Um, I could see those guys. It's not a slug at all, but it's about the size of a mm-hmm. banana slug. And I was enjoying, yeah, looking at the bioluminescence. I at one point ran through a couple of patches of jellyfish. So I might be thinking about the pain in different parts of my body. But my mantra with that is that as long as the pain is moving around within my body, I'm okay. Like if it's, yeah, that clearly nothing is so intense if, if it changes what I'm worrying about with my pain. Um, It's only when it locks in in one spot, then I'm like, oh, now I need to, you know, worry. Yeah, and obviously cramping or I mean, injury was a big worry. Yeah, I think for me, the prep and the training period was I had a lot of anxiety around, um, yeah, joint issue and issues. And I was doing lots of physical therapy for my shoulders, for my wrist. I was working full time. So I kind of had some carpal tunnel things that I needed to sort out because I did a longer seven hours training swim and that really flared up. So I had to change something there and injury, like during the swim. Um, I think mo- the most thing that I was worried about during the swim. Yeah. I had this one muscle that really tightened up in my back uh, towards the like final hours of the swim and they let you take medication. So <laughs> I told my kayaker, my husband at that time was kayaking and when he gave me the five minute warning that, you know, you'll get another feed in five minutes. 
uh, when he stopped to tell me that, I just turned my head as I breathed and I said, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so he knew to get the, find the Advil, get that ready so that I could take that with the next feed. And then once it kicked in, my back muscle, the pain went away. And then I started to step it up a notch and start swimming harder again. And I'm like, oh, no, no, wait, I should back it off because... You know, if all I'm doing with the drugs is stalling the pain, like, I don't really want to just, like, tear this thing as I'm stepping it up. So, try to just keep a consistent pace the whole way through. I, I don't think I could kayak that channel, much less swim it. That's just, it blows my mind. And then, towards the end, where, so did, did you ever find yourself, like, slowing down? I mean, I kind of know the symptoms of hypothermia. Were, were you getting there? Did you, te- did they test your body temperature at the end of the race? Uh, no, no testing. Um, I, so I trained in the San Francisco Bay, mm-hmm. um, and the temperatures there are colder, uh, they're not, yeah, it can be whatever all over the place. But, um, I n- felt like most of my training was like in the 65 degrees for the long swims, um, range. And so 70 degrees, I really had nothing to worry about, especially if I kept moving. That's the biggest thing again, with mm-hmm. like trying to feed really quick. And I, my liquids my were warm. All of my, the feeds that I had, the liquid portion was warm. Um, so being able to internally warm up a little bit with each feed. And at the end, I had told my friends, I had a bunch of friends that were meeting on the beach to like welcome, yeah, cheer me on coming into the beach. I had one that I shared with Roz on the beach. You have to manage all the beach people. Like don't let any of them touch me because if any of them touch me before I'm finished, I'm disqualified. Uh, So I told her, you know, I might be totally frozen, you know, like barely (laughs) moving, like just leave me face down in the sand and just (laughs) yell at me. Until I drag my ass up and get to the dry sand. You have to get to dry land uh, to really finish. Um, But so they were all shocked when uh, I, you know, the the water temperature was so great that I just, um, I tried to do some breaststroke towards the end so that I could get my legs moving in a different motion. Sometimes people can have a problem standing up and walking because they've been in this like horizontal position with not actually using the muscles that you use for walking for like 13 hours. Um, so I did some breaststroke to get my legs functional. And then I was able to just run up the beach. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then Roz told me that, you know, I didn't give her a chance to to shout at me and make a scene to be able to like get me off the dry sand and up the beach. So we did a reenactment of me crawling out of the <laughs> water. It was really fun. That's awesome. That's great. And that and that was obviously in the daylight by that point? Yeah. Okay. And I'm assuming that was time that it made it safer for coming in and out for the boats and everything. Yeah. Uh I mean that's one of the one of the reasons we go at night is there's less boat traffic, mostly less wind. And I wasn't really able to pay much attention to how many boats were around pretty tunnel vision focused Mm -hmm. uh but certainly uh, i think i don't even remember seeing other boats there were some other kayakers that came around through uh we landed at there's many different names for it um 
Babylonian Cove or Smuggler's Cove. I'm blanking, but there was a kayaking group that came by and they were asking what was going on. And um, yeah, it was pretty fun. That's awesome. Now, now, what do you do in your normal life? Yeah, uh, I, so after I mentioned that I went to oceanography, um, Scripps Institution of Oceanography, I was in grad school for oceanography. And then I ended up uh, switching careers out of academia into science and policy. Um, I wanted to turn my whole dedication and my career work to addressing climate change. So I ended up doing a work in energy policy. So renewable energy technology development, and most recently energy efficiency uh, programs in California with uh, working with the California Public Utilities Commission. Okay, so not necessarily maritime related at this point. Or... Yeah, not at this point. I, one of the renewable energy technologies that I was working on was marine and hydrokinetic technology. But yeah, I ended up going for bigger scale, larger populations to reducing our energy um, through the energy efficiency track when I moved to California. Yeah, well, you just harness the energy of that swim. That's just why. <laughs> um, so, do you, what do you say physically? I mean, uh, so folks just listening, obviously. So, you're, you're pretty tall, right? Uh, yeah. How tall are you? Five ten. Five ten. Okay, so fairly tall. Um, do Do you think? Do you have anything physical about you that's like abnormal? Like, mm. you know, I, I know they talk about brown fat. Some people have more or less. It's, some of that's genetic. Some of it's not. They don't know for sure. But do you, I don't know. Do you think, are you just a normal person? Or like, can a normal human do this? Yeah. Um, I think it's like 80, 90% mental. Um, on the physical side, I don't feel like I have that much unique. I would say I am tolerant to cold water for sure. I love exploring new waters whenever I go somewhere I want to just jump in the water whatever it is so we went backpacking a couple weeks ago and I was like oh this like has an iceberg still in it in August and the Sierra Nevada I'm like I'm gonna get in the lake with the iceberg still in it it's like tiny it's the size of a car or something so I think but I think that's more mental than physical just the crazy factor adventure of um doing something that, you know, most people are like, what are you doing? Why the heck would you do this? On the on the physical front, yeah, I think I swam in high school as competitively, uh, wasn't awesome, but was fine. And then in college, I played water polo. So I just love being in the water. Uh, since the pandemic, all the swimming pools were closed. I didn't love swimming in the swimming pool, but water polo was canceled because we needed a pool for water polo. And um, and then a lot of people just started pure open water swimming. And I had already been doing that, but it became my full-time like plan for exercise during COVID. Uh, lots, lots of time, five days a week, um, swimming open water. And I found that, you know, I'm the slowest person of the crew that I swim with. And it's a little tough mentally to be always like way behind everybody else. Um, I enjoy swimming alone. I don't mind it. Um, but you know, getting my brain, my, my mental mindset, okay with being the slowest person, um, and, or failing on things. That's something that I'm trying to, you know, get better at trying things that 
scare me that I may fail at, but trying to embrace the journey and just keep going after it. Yeah. Now, when he says swim alone, you mean you're in a group, but you're behind or like, do you ever go out alone swimming? Because the training was like 30 weeks of training and five days a week, only two or three might be pool days. Actually, only towards the end of my training, once the ocean temperatures had warmed enough, I was only doing one day in the pool of the five days a week of training. I definitely did not have a buddy swimmer for like most swims. Many people would join me for like one hour of my four or five hours of training. But yeah, even when I had someone that was joining, we would start and end at the buoy that I would put out, like an abalone buoy. Um, yeah, an abalone buoy for, I would put all the feeds in there so I wouldn't have to get off onto the beach to go fuel myself up again. But we would just meet at the buoy, but otherwise I wouldn't see them during the swim because they were faster. Okay. And and then when you're out swimming, I mean, that to me, that's, that's pretty dangerous. Did you have like a a backup life float or something that would keep you afloat if you got a cramp or God forbid just passed out? Uh, so I, on and off, I swim with a buoy. They have swim buoys, um, that you can just inflate. But when I was comfortable with an, a water air body of water and the currents and felt confident, I would not use the buoy because it's kind of, there was such heavy wind in San Francisco Bay that it's like tugging at you. And then when you're going downwind, the buoy is blowing up over your head and getting caught in your arms. Um, so often, most of the time I didn't, I was training in places that I knew really well and I felt confident in. So I didn't have the buoy with me it, when I was training in other places on travel. And I don't know what like the boats are like. It's mostly the boats that I'm worried about because the buoy is not going to I don't know, I could carry a phone in it or something, but I did that once swimming on the coast of Angel Island. And uh, I realized that my husband couldn't even, for some reason I was thinking, oh, you know, he can watch where I am with the find my phone app (laughs) and see where my position is. And then that didn't even work. Uh, So yeah, I would say I didn't have a ton of, you know, safety measures in place. It was more just building up really slowly and knowing my limits from the past training and just going a little bit further each time. So there was probably some, some risks taken there, but, but I think more on the, the mental front, if I were to like freak out thinking about this could happen or this could happen, it was kind of just knowing, I'm sure to sort of block off those and trust the, that I'd looked up the conditions or the currents or the temperature and, generally had an idea of how to plan and prepare for it and yeah that's 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 very inspiring it's like like you didn't just swim the channel you know it's like there's a whole build up that's it's uh yeah makes it a lot less not less daunting what's the word just more inspiring (laughs) so what's next for you what's next on the horizon yeah that's tough i kind of knew that I was going to have a little bit of a crash after it's such a high, right? To have finished a lifelong goal. And um, in the end, I think for me next is a career shift. Um, So my next challenge, this was a big confidence builder that I can do something that I put my mind to. Um, 
And one of the things that had always scared me was like, what if I were to go off on my own or try and create my own business, do, um, do what I have in my mind is something I'm really passionate about. And that's actually working with underserved marginalized communities and accessing funds that, um, f- uh, that are available through government grants, uh, for energy, um, efficiency, electrification, all these things that are expressly out there for, um, energy justice. We're trying to serve the members of our community that we've always left behind or not thought about or tread on. And how do I help the communities to access those funds? So I'm going to start a new career. I left my position at the the California Public Utilities Commission. And um, that's the next scary thing that I always thought, like, that would be cool, but that's so not me. Like, I don't have the ability to, you know, create my own business and had all these doubts. Um, only as far as, you know, 10 years ago, I was just like, that could never be me. But now I'm like, oh, hey, no, you know, I've been able to do things that I thought would be impossible or really, really hard. Um, I just have to want it. And so I'm going after that. That's great. That's terrific, Ali. Excellent. I think you said it all right there. That's wonderful. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say or talk about? Or I think it's just so much... Um, of my journey in this has been um, finding how to ask for something and feel like it's okay. Um, It felt very selfish. Um, At the same time, I learned through it that expressing what it was that was my goal that I was going after, um, it didn't, from the perception of my friends and my team around me and just want to really thank my whole team that made this happen for me that there there's benefit or there's um positivity for them in being able to support me in that so i felt very selfish through the whole thing um and it just felt really strange to ask for people to center around a goal that i have but it was really neat to see the reactions when I would express this, that they were like, no, but like, we're getting something from this too. So it was lovely. And so people should not worry about when going after their goals too much, like, you know, what burden you're putting on them, because there's another way of um, seeing it, that they're enjoying helping you through that. Yeah, that's terrific. That's a terrific thought. All right, folks. Well, Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Allie, for chatting with, with me and and being an inspiration to us all. Good luck. Good luck in your new career. Good luck in your next crazy thing you plan on doing, whatever it is. And yeah, everybody be safe out there. If you see someone swimming, look out for swimmers. If you're out boating, don't run them over, please. And yeah, wishing everyone out there fair winds and a following sea. Bye.